Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Well, grace and peace to you this day in the name of Jesus Christ, who is to come. Amen. Uh, This Advent season, we're going to be doing two things. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament prophecies uh, about Jesus, today starting with Jeremiah, and then on Wednesdays in the midweek services, we're going to be going through uh, the books of Thessalonians and looking at especially the end times conversation that is in those books. So I encourage you to uh, look through those things and, and look forward to them as well. Uh, Jeremiah uh, is called the weeping prophet, uh, and really for good reason. Um, Jeremiah was called by God to prophesy to Israel and to Judah and Jerusalem at a time when things were not good. It was a time when uh, both Babylon was threatening from the north and also Egypt from the south. And Judah and Jerusalem were kind of this little vassal state in between these huge uh, powers. And Jeremiah was called with a really unpleasant task of telling all of God's people in Jerusalem and in Israel about their coming destruction. So he's called to both warn the people and to call them into repentance, but also eventually he was called to prophesy about the destruction that would come as Babylon would come and uh, take them into captivity and bring them all into slavery and take over their cities. And so if you can imagine that job description, if your job was to tell all the people of Kearney that pretty soon Kearney would be destroyed and pretty soon we would be under foreign occupation and it was due to the problems that are in Kearney, the injustices that are here and the sins that are here and the unrepentance that is here, would you be invited to the Christmas party? And so Jeremiah had a lot of reason to weep and he actually prophesies all of this and he sees that the problem is uh, in the behaviors of the people. Uh, They're doing a lot of unjust things to the poor and the widows and the orphans and also in their hypocrisy, they'll still come to the temple, they'll still offer sacrifices all the while worshiping false gods on the side. Um, But Jeremiah eventually diagnoses the real problem and it's in the heart of the people and so Uh, Here's some of the things he says to Jerusalem and to the people of God. He says, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? Or later he says, But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart that they have turned aside and gone away. And even after all of the the warnings, he says this, yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Or later, this evil people who refused to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And so he was called to prophesy and to to point out the real problem which was in the heart of the people, that the hearts were deceptive, they would not be turned back to God. And because of this, God would bring destruction uh, upon Jerusalem after much warning and patience. And so here's what God says to Jeremiah 
He says, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. And so first, before God brings actual judgment uh, from the people of Babylon uh, to destroy Judah and Jerusalem, first he says the first uh, judgment comes from the mouth of the prophet, that the word of God that comes from the mouth of Jeremiah will set them on fire. And so this is important for us to understand that uh, as God's word is powerful and effective, it always does what it says. And so the first judgment came as soon as God commanded Jeremiah to tell the people what was going to happen. Even though they weren't suffering in the body yet, the pronouncement of God was there and the judgment was finished. Uh, and later, God says this through the prophet to the people. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, shall come and set this city on fire and burn it with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. And so this is the prophet Jeremiah. He sees this terrible calamity coming upon his people and coming upon the cities that he loves. And after all of his warnings, after all of his attempts, uh, all of those attempts eventually failed and the judgments of God he had to actually watch happen with his own eyes. You can say, yeah, that he would be called the weeping prophet and that's a good reason. But Jeremiah lived to see the invasion of Babylon into Judah and into Jerusalem and after all of these years of warning the people that God loved and hoping that they would turn uh, he, all of his work would be fruitless and all of his hopes would be dashed and those he loved, would, he would see them destroyed and deported um, by Babylon. And so what do we say from these things? Uh, first of all, um, there's a bit of an encouragement. Um, a lot of times we can feel uh, the same way. We can feel like, what's the point? of calling out with God's mercy? What's the point of correcting those we love or turning them to God? Because so little, time, so little amount of time does anyone actually repent? Does anyone actually turn away? And so we can feel a lot like uh, the prophet Jeremiah, that we have a terrible task, that the more we try to teach people and turn them to the Lord, the worse they get. And we too will witness their judgment. Right? As, because what else would come for people who do not turn to the Lord except for judgment and repent, uh, judgment on their lives? And so we can feel this way too. We can feel like uh, the, the cause of Christianity or the cause of bringing our friends, our family to faith uh, is kind of a hopeless cause, that we're never going to see the fruits of this and that people are going to go their own way following the ways of their own hearts, just like the people of Judah and Israel. And that can be crushing. That can be demoralizing. It can cause us to weep too. We can feel like uh, we are the only firefighter in a, in a firestorm, right? working alone to put out these flames as judgment is coming. But here's an encouragement for us. Uh, Jeremiah never got to see 
the hope that God presented in Christ. His whole ministry was like that. His whole life was one of disappointment and weeping, and yet he continued to preach. He continued to be faithful to God, even though he never saw it. And so we can take courage from Jeremiah that we're not alone in our task. Certainly it's not as bad as Jeremiah's task. You know what they tried to do with Jeremiah? They tried to kill him many times, but one time they threw him into a well so that he would die alone, so they couldn't hear his voice anymore. Has that happened to you yet? No, no one has thrown you in a well. And yet Jeremiah was faithful, and the, and the reason he was faithful is because he continued to pour out his heart to God in prayer. He continued to find his strength in the Lord and commit his cause to the Lord and entrust his ways, entrust his life to the God who had called him to do this task. More than that, he's in really good company. A lot of people have drawn um, connections between Jeremiah and his ministry to Jerusalem and Jesus and his ministry to Jerusalem. And this is what, one of the things that Jesus said about the people of Jerusalem. Uh, looking forward to the end, he said, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because, lawless, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So even if we feel like the road forward is hopeless, like the people that we're trying to minister to will never change, or even if we find in ourselves the same weakness that we're trying to turn others away, and we find that we ourselves continually go astray, that all, the only future we can see in our future is one of destruction because we see the same sins in our own hearts. Even if everything seems dark and dreary and the road seems fruitless, we should do what Jeremiah did and we should do what Jesus did. We should seek our God in prayer. We should go to him all the time, asking him for help, asking him to lift us up. Jeremiah prayed, and it sustained him. When he was confused, he prayed to God for understanding. Uh, when he was tired, he prayed to God for endurance. When he was discouraged, he prayed to God for faithfulness, and those prayers sustained him. And so when all the world seemed against him, he prayed. And when even his own people rejected his warnings and incurred wrath, he brought his complaint to God. When Babylon came and laid siege to Jerusalem, he prayed deeply and honestly and painfully before God, and God sustained him. And so in the midst of things we cannot understand, we too are to call out to God who sees time laid out before him like an open book. He can see the big picture. How else can you continue to be faithful in this world apart from being sustained by God in prayer? We don't walk alone. We walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and we walk with his spirit as Jeremiah did. And it was in the midst of all of these sorrows and all of this weeping and all of this prayer that the prophet uh, was, was restored and encouraged by God, and he cried out 
uh, in joy. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became my joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. God sustained him and even gave him joy, even though the length of his days was misery. And he does the same for us. And it's in the middle of all these things uh, that God told Jeremiah to do something really strange. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylon armies had laid siege to Jerusalem, burned most of the city and also many of the other towns around. And God came to Jeremiah, who was in prison at the time, and he spoke to him, uh, and he told Jeremiah to go and buy a field. And so while Jeremiah was in prison, uh, he got some money, and he signed a deed, and he invested in a field. He invested in a burnt-down, war-torn area of the world. Is that a good investment? You people are kind of land people, right? Nebraska? Is that the choice land? A land whose future is uncertain and a land who is war-torn and and maybe there's going to be a new government soon. But God called him to do this. And again, he called out and prayed to God, why would you have me do this when your promises haven't come yet? And this is what God said. God says that after all of this judgment had passed through Jerusalem and through Judah, and after all of God's people would be scattered, that God would bring them back from where they had been and bring them back to this land and restore them, restore their future, restore their fortunes, and he would cause them to dwell in safety in the same land from which they were uprooted. And this is what the Lord says. Uh, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and vineyards and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. And so God has Jeremiah do this hopeful action, this beacon of light for the people that he, even while he's in prison, even while the city of Jerusalem is in siege, he buys a field, hopeful of the future. That would happen 70 years later, the people would be brought back. And as God asks Jeremiah to do this, he gives two promises to the people of God. Uh, First, uh, he says this, I will make with them an everlasting covenant, and I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts. So first he promises that he is going to solve the heart issue of the people, that God is going to turn towards his people again, and he's going to get to the root of the problem that's in the heart, and he's going to give them new hearts and put the fear of him in their hearts so that they will not turn away from him anymore. And second, he says this, I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. And beyond that, he says this, in those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So God promises that he will bring the people back and that even though the people's hearts had continually turned away from him, he would fix their hearts and also he would turn his heart and his soul to them and never grow tired of doing them good. 
Here is where we see uh, the character of God on display. Uh, the people of Israel had continually betrayed their God, continually broken the covenant, covenant, but did God give up his covenant with them? No. Did God grow bitter in his heart and cast them off forever? No. Instead, he took all of the onus to fix the problem. He fixes their hearts, and his heart never grows tired of doing them good. And he brings them back and restores their fortunes for the sake of his promise. Who would not have this God to be their God? When they see his righteousness, who would, who would say, that God seems great, you know what, but I, I'm just not that interested. When we see how gracious he is and how continually good he is, even to people who are rebellious against him. Who would not gladly worship this God whose love never fails? It's in this darkness that God called Jeremiah to become a beacon of hope. God would not abandon his people, and they should look forward to the day when they would return. In the midst of a burned and desolate place, hope would spring up for them. And so this is what we see in the prophet of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah, in the midst of all of his darkness, in the midst of his weeping, in the midst of all of his horror, he gives the people this glimpse of hope that God would not abandon them and that God himself would come to deal with their hearts. And how would God ultimately deal with the the broken, the sinful hearts, the rebellious hearts of sinners like the people of Israel? And how would he deal with your broken and rebellious heart, by the way? He would raise up a righteous branch um, in the middle of desolation when everything seemed down and broken. He would raise up Jesus, uh, a branch coming from David, the Messiah. God's faithfulness would remain and his love would endure forever and he would raise up Jesus who would bring justice and righteousness to the land, saving Judah and saving us. And there it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. And so it is for us. When we have no righteousness of our own, when all that's in our heart is sin and rebellion, when all we should do is weep at the coming judgment, um, God keeps his promises to us for his sake and for our sake. When we break our vows and when our hearts grow cold, when rebellion is all we have to offer to God, God is faithful to us. And that's why he brought Jesus, to deal with our treacherous hearts, to take on a beating heart, one that was not treacherous but faithful, and to do what we would not and could not do to fulfill our vows for us, to uphold the covenants and the promises, and even unto death to live in righteousness before God. And his hands would be pierced by the nails, and his heart would be pierced by the spear, but he would keep his covenant. His righteousness would be lifted up on the tree for all to witness and to see. And it's this righteousness, this branch of David that God gives to us. It's the fruit of his tree, the cross, that he uses to cleanse our treacherous hearts and forgive our sins. And it's the spirit of Jesus that he washes you with 
gives you a new heart that loves the Lord and fears his name, filling us with, with his righteousness when we had none of our own to give. And it's for the sake of Jesus' righteousness that we are not destroyed by our sins. It is for the sake of Jesus' wounds that we are healed. And it is for Jesus' sake that God rejoices in doing us good with all of his heart and with all of his soul to plant us and to establish us in the promises of Jesus again. And it's this kindness that leads God's people to repent. When we see how broken we are in our hearts and we see how faithful God is, it draws us to repent. We see that he is not out for vengeance. He brings us to righteousness. We see that he doesn't want to curse us, but he wants to heal us. And we see his long-standing compassion for us. This is what draws us to say, I'm guilty. I repent. I need mercy. And gladly he gives it in the name of Jesus to us. Our hearts are led to fear the Lord and to trust his promises. And the promise is that we will dwell securely in his presence when he comes in the person of Jesus, the righteous branch. And under this mighty branch, we will find our dwelling, our shade, and our peace. For God himself is our righteousness, and Jesus is the one who has brought that to us. Let's pray in his name. Lord God, as we begin this Advent season, we pray, Lord, that you would awaken us uh, to the reality of your judgment. Cause us and all people, Lord, to flee uh, to your, towards your righteousness. We know, Lord, that we don't have righteousness of our own and that our hearts uh, by themselves are treacherous. And so, Lord, give us the righteousness of Jesus to cover us and fill us with the Holy Spirit uh, that we may fear your name and worship you all of our days. And it's in his great name that we pray. Amen.